I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chris Harrington. Chris Harrington, what are we listening to? Uh, that's the weight, the band classic, mixing it up with the Aretha Franklin version. Sort of fits the theme of my first of my preseason Grizzlies columns this year about the enormous weight John Morant had to carry, especially come playoff time, and uh, how the path forward may be sharing it a little bit more. Uh, so I confess, well, so I wasn't here to talk to you yesterday about Media Day, and uh, I've been uh, obviously focused on other things. Uh, so some of this may be going over what you went over uh, with Jeffrey yesterday, uh, but I, and then I do want to talk about your column. Um, let's talk about, though, first the, the, the Jaron Jackson stuff. Obviously, I guess if there was a theme to Media Day, it would be when was Jaron going to return and who is going to replace him uh, as you I think told us basically they said the timetable's the same and yet they're sort of winking about how, you know, it might be, might be on the, on the right side of that timetable. If, if Jeffrey set the over under at Thanksgiving, does that seem like the right over under when he might be returning? I mean, that's what I tweeted at from media day that I would move the, the over under I, my previously stated over under from Christmas, I would move it to Thanksgiving. Um, so yes, that's where I would set the over under now. I, I'd probably take the under. I mean, we're still like guessing around, reading tea leaves, but I think I'd probably take the under. So the other thing, and and what really struck me was, I thought the way they talked about who was going to step in for him, like it, it literally echoed what you had said, almost in the way they said it three weeks earlier or a month earlier on this show, which was. Uh, Santi seems like the first option. And then literally in the same breath, as if they were one person, they would say Jake LaRavia, David Roddy. Because that's that's what you said. That's exactly as you said it. Maybe one of those two rookies. That's a separate category. Santi's one. One of the two rookies is two. And then not much really talk about Brandon Clark. It was, and then we could play small with Dylan. Is that sort of how you see it? I mean, is that uh, what struck you about the way they talked about it, other than it was exactly the way you talked about it two weeks earlier? Well, I mean, I think I think starting Brandon Clark is not next man up. I think start, starting Brandon Clark is breaking case of emergency. I think I, I don't think they're going to start small ball. I mean, I know there are, there are some there are multiple smart people out there who I think a lot of who sort of feel like maybe they will. I don't. Um, so, my, but I feel like both of those options are if this other thing doesn't work. And I've always right. felt like the other thing is let's hope 
you know, Aldama, LaRavia, Roddy, in that order of likelihood. You know, I, I don't, I don't put my stock in Roddy being a starter, but in some order of likelihood, you know, can 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 hold it down for a little bit. And the other part of this, we don't have to go deep into this right now because it's probably going to be the subject of the next column I write later this week. But there's so much focus on who's going to start in place of Jaron for a, two or three weeks. But like, there's a whole front court role that's like up for grabs for the whole season, which is replacing Kyle Anderson's role even after Jaron's back. And so, uh, you know, there's a short-term question about who starts. But there's a long-term question about who's in the rotation and who's not in terms of the front court guys. Um, Aldama's an interesting case because at the time they drafted him, I would say surprising. Um, sort of when the, that was not a name who anyone had, had thought the Grizzlies might draft. He then comes in and in that first summer league looks awful, honestly. And you're wondering if this is the first swing and a miss. Uh, you know, I don't know the first swing and a miss. This is a swing and a miss. Yeah, I mean, these, these two, Zach Kleiman's great, man, but you, we, we got to stop acting like he never makes mistakes. Like right. Justice Winslow, Justice Marcus Wooderich, John yeah. Day Porter. You no, know, I, I, meant dra- I meant draft picks. I didn't mean, I didn't right. mean, I, I meant draft picks, swing and a miss. He very clearly, Justice Winslow was a swing and a miss by, uh, by, by, I don't blame him for taking the swing. It was a swing and a miss. But in terms right. of draft picks, this was the first swing and a miss. Uh, and first first round swing and a miss, certainly. And um, and yet, they obviously believe in him. What do we think of him as a – what is the, the ceiling and the, 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 the possibilities for Aldama this year and going forward? What do you see in him? Well, I, it's hard. I think the shots need to fall. Um, I think that's important for him. He is more – of a face-up big than a stretch big at this point. He's a little bit more like young Pal Gasol, and I don't mean that in a qualitative sense. I mean that in a stylistic sense. Of He's a long guy who's comfortable facing up and like attacking off the dribble. He has not been a guy who's made a lot of long-distance shots. Um, certainly he did not last season. They started to go in more for him in summer league. I, I think I think this is true of a lot of players. Not every player, but a lot of players, and he is one of them, that like whether those outside shots fall or not may go a long way towards determining whether you know he's a real player or not. Um, I think one of the things about him short-term, why I sort of have favored him as likely – it, at least in that Jaron role, is it's not just a question of like individual um, competition, like who's better. It's also a question of how pieces fit together. And you know, when someone somebody tried to ask Stephen Adams about like you know what do they need you know to play next to you as a big, and like before before he dismissed the question, which he did pretty quickly, he did mention like you know rim protection. Well, I don't think Santi Aldama gives you a lot of that, but I don't think Jake Laravia, David Rodda give you any of that, and so like. You know, the approximate Jaron thing is, you know, are you long enough to, to give some kind of defensive presence at the rim on, de- you know, on defense? Because Stephen Adams doesn't as much. And then offensively, can you play out on the perimeter a little bit? Because you can't just be stuck in the paint. And I think Aldama sort of, you know, can give you a rough approximation skill-wise from some of that Jaron stuff. Uh, but I think he needs to be an, a good offensive player. I, I think there's a real cap on what he's going to be defensively as a rebounder, but he's already good at running the floor. He, he's comfortable facing up and attacking off the dribble, so he needs to start making some outside shots. And if he does that, you know, he could be an interesting player. Um, it's so fun. I, I, I do. I like – media day goes on so long that by the end I feel beaten down almost by the, by the yep. volume of material. Like you kind of want to write it as it unfolds, and by the end I'm like – I eat too much is sort of how I feel, like whatever. But I will say that among the things that struck me, um, 
I think David Roddy, if he's good, is going to be really fun to talk to over the years. Not in like a hilarious way, although he does seem funny, but I, he just seems like he's comfortable and thoughtful. And with so many of these players, one of the themes that we have is none of these guys are ad water stars. You know, like he talked about patience and how the situation that he's in right now is not unlike the situ- situation he was in in college where he went in and he didn't get any minutes and he grew and whatever else. And, and so he's sort of like an ad, you know, uh, you, you develop a guy whose whole career has been about developing. So is Aldama. So is John Conchar. So, is, but I think, uh, I think Roddy is going to be great to talk to in a way that honestly, Jake LaRavia, maybe not <laughs> at this point. Like it's sort of, you get these impressions and then Steven Adams just bats stupid questions out of the air. It's fantastic. He has no patience for it. Um, it's not even that the questions are stupid, but it's right. just that it's just that I mean it's sort of like this like dual performance, this weird dual performance thing, and I just think he said that he's too smart for it. No. That he he is just can't get into the he just doesn't have the the inclination to get into the frame of like let's like let's perform or whatever. Right. I mean, yeah, I, no. I, I, I think Which he said, I kind of admire. Yeah, he said about. Yeah. Of course, his is his own. His is his own performance. He just has made a lot yeah. and jokes about right. uh, six pack abs and 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 there you have it. Uh, in terms of some of the other stuff from Media Day, as I because I didn't get to talk to you yesterday, you do get the sense that obviously the other thing was the contract stuff. Uh, Brandon Clark, it felt like from the way that he responded that they will get that deal done, and Dylan Brooks, it felt like from the way he responded and honestly the reality, the financial reality that they will not, right? At least this summer. Yeah, on the Brooks thing, I just think that the calculations are pretty clear all around. Like I don't think they were clear three or four months ago. Right. But I think once the new cap the new cap projections sort of filter into the, the matrix, then I think it all became pretty clear. Remind that, remind people what the limits are. Yeah. The most they can offer him is four years and sixty one million, which is like you know not that much more than you know, per year. The Tyus Jones is getting to be the backup point guard, and Dylan Brooks is a starting wing. And so, unless he just wanted to play it ultra ultra safe, because I mean sixty one million dollars is nothing to sneeze at right. if you have some kind of injury or whatever. But unless he wanted to play it ultra ultra safe, I think it's safe to presume that if he is a decent season, he didn't. Have, I mean, he can have the same season he's had the last two years. I mean, if he has a decent season, he'll get more than that next summer on the market. So the so the, the smart bet is for him is not to take that. We don't know that the Grizzlies have offered that. My assumption is that they would. I don't know why they wouldn't, but it's just not. It just doesn't work out. So he he'll be a free agent next right. summer more than likely. The the Brandon Clark thing I I felt was more of a coin flip. And if we're all sort of reading the the, the, the the sort of near misstatement the same way, I think we're all reading it the same way. If we're reading it correctly, it certainly sounds like they may be on the verge or something. And what would that deal possibly look like? It's hard to say. I mean, I think, you know, what I have suggested, when I've written about it, what I've sort of just suggested as a potential, like, you know, what's big enough for him to take but small enough for the Grizzlies to give, like what's that sweet spot? I thought of it as a 12, 12 to thirteen million kind of thing, which is sort of the Tyus Jones money. Actually, I guess Tyus got a little bit more than that, but like twelve to thirteen million over three to four years. And so, on a four-year deal, I said something like forty-eight to fifty-four. I could see it being a three-year deal, so like a three-year, you know, thirty-six, thirty-nine. I, I'm just guessing, but right. I think somewhere in that area. 
like low-level starter, high-level reserve kind of money. All right, onward to your column. Uh, to, uh, whenever it went up yesterday, today, it's up at the Daily Memphian. I have retweeted it. Uh, and it's about what, how can Jod do more this year or what can Jod do this year? And, and the answer is less. Explain. Well, it's a little bit, it's a little complicated, and I sort of work work through it. Um, the Grizzlies last season, so John Morant had a usage rate. This, these numbers are a little bit different depending on where you look them up, but I'm using cleaning the glass, which filters out the garbage time stuff. John Morant's usage rate, which is a stat that tells you what percentage of a possession of the team's possessions a player uses when they play, like mm-hmm. they use by taking a shot, meaning a turnover, whatever ends a possession, right? Yep. Uh, was 36, which was fourth in the league behind, not necessarily in this order, but Luca, Trey, and Joel Embiid. I went and looked sort of historically, like how, how do players do ultimately when they have that level of usage. And the last 10 years, you know, among teams that made the finals, so 20 teams uh, that made the finals, the only player who, who got to the finals with that level of usage was LeBron James. Um, and then I look back over going back to 2004, which is as far back as the site stats go, and looked at every small guard who had that level of usage. And it's not like the guys who are winning titles for the most part. It's, it's the Russell Westbrooks and Allen Iversons and Derrick Roses, which are the players Jaws been compared to. And I think last season, his, his scoring exploded in a way that he, he had a season that sort of was along the lines of those players. And, like, that's a pretty great place to be. Like, those players all won MVPs. Those players all made at least one NBA Finals or one Conference Finals, not NBA Finals, which are two things John Morant's never done. But I think Morant's talents are such that the best version of him is actually better than those guys. And I think the best version of him and the best version of him in the service of his career and the Grizzlies' success is not going to look like that. And so sort of my conclusion is, you know, not only does he have to find better balance between his own scoring and playmaking, but the Grizzlies have to build a team that doesn't depend on the small guard to do that much. You know, if you, if you look in the playoffs, when he went out, in the regular season, the Grizzlies were like technically better without John Morant, just from a pure point scored, points given up standpoint, right. because their defense was so much better and their offense did not decline as much as their defense improved. That was not true in the playoffs. In the playoffs, the defense still got better when he didn't play, but the offense fell apart. And you could see that late against Golden State, where they're just struggling to get shots. And people are mad at Dylan Brooks because he's like flinging up shots, but they got nowhere else to get them. And I think they built. The style that they played, A, it puts too much too much weight on Morant, given his size, and B, makes them too susceptible in the playoffs to rely too much on one player, which is easier to scheme by other teams. And so this is kind of a complicated thing, and it's not like, like I was trying to find something to write about Ja that was both interesting and relevant and true, and not just rah-rah, John Morant's awesome, which he is. So I was trying to find something to say that hasn't already been said. And I think this I think this is true, but it may not be like, you know, what people most want to hear. But I do think this is at core one of the more interesting sort of fundamental questions about the Grizzlies as they evolve over the next couple of years. Do you know did his usage rate go way up? Has it was it ascending last year? Was it uh, and was it different yeah, in the playoffs yeah, than yeah, the regular it, season? Yeah, it, what was your question from and, year to year or yeah, from year to year. Season, the playoffs? Both. Year both to year, yeah. Yes. Well, year to year, yes. I mean, I, I did the list below, you know, below, on the column of every player who's had a, who's used more than a third of a team's possessions. And Jack Grant's only on that list once, and that was this season. This is a trait right. 
right. his previous two years was below the 33 and a third kind of thing. Um, so his usage, one of the interesting things about his season that like didn't get remarked upon very much is the weird thing is that his usage exploded. His assists went down. His assists actually went down while his usage exploded. It was all points. Um, he just scored. He was such an explosive scorer. He just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And it was spectacular to watch. But I think this is not just about him. Ultimately, they need a team that can go other places. Now, this is about Desmond Bain getting better and Jared Jackson getting better and maybe some other changes around him. In terms of regular season in the playoffs, actually, it was about the same. Uh, you made this point before. Last year was not a big joggles year. You know, uh, we right. used to talk about Ja and the joggles and, and his wizardry with the basketball, distributing the basketball was as prevalent as his the way that he got to the rim. And it, it just anecdotally certainly felt like that changed last year. And now these numbers. Uh, well, well, to me, what's so amazing about Ja is he has, he can be, as he was last season, he has the Iverson, Westbrook, Derek Rose. I know Westbrook puts up huge assist numbers, but that's different. He had Rose and Iverson didn't. By the way, I mean their assist numbers were not never that 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 big. But he has that. You cannot control me as I'm going to the rim. That set of dynamism. But to me, the thing that's great about Ja is he pairs that with the vision and those some of the pure point guard abilities of like your Chris Paul and Jason Kidd types. And I think. To me, this is a testament to John Morant that I think the best version of him could blend those two types of player in a way that we really haven't seen much. But it is interesting because there's two parts of this, as you point out. One is the Grizzlies building the right team, and we can talk about that in a second. But then it's also Ja's sensibility, and you do wonder how much Ja enjoyed all the acclaim that came with him scoring a billion points a game. Like when he talked about you know, what did he remember from last year? It was San Antonio. Like, it was I, it, right. some of it is also his sensibility and deciding this is what he wants to do, um, which will be an interesting thing to see how he, you know, how he processes that, right? It's, it, is a, it is the most extremely rarefied luxury problem you can have with a basketball <laughs> player. Is most, very few players can be great. Even fewer could be great in different ways. And John Morant can actually choose what kind of great player he wants to be. And how he negotiates that choice going forward, I think, is, is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. All right, but then does it make it harder because they can say all they want that, listen, we prioritize shooting. And it may be true. Like, I don't know the answer to this. Like, you've pointed out that so much of their offensive effectiveness last year came from – uh, steals and you know it came from the, the transition. Zach stuff. Lyman talked about this. It, he, he talked about it, right? And that 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 I don't know if it doesn't translate to the playoffs. But Kyle is gone. DeAnthony Melton is gone. Like they said, that it, it, we need more shooting and less transition. Yep. And yet their answer for the shooting is Jake Laravia. I mean, it's not just right. Jake Laravia, but like that doesn't seem like much an answer when he won't shoot. Um, yeah, to, to, to me, the ultimate answer here is not going to come from switching out Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson for John Conchar and Jake LaRavia or Santi Aldama or whatever. Right. It, it's ultimately that, that sort of that sort of trimming around the edges. Uh, and, and I don't, I'm not saying that those trims are wrong. We'll find out, or that you know, whatever they're not worth doing. Um, but I think the real answers are going to come from can, does Desmond Bain have another step? Can Jaron Jackson more than anything become get back to being a good offensive player? You know, what's the ceiling on Zaire Williams as an offensive player? 
And is there another move to come at some point in the next year, two, three years that that that, that sort of addresses you know this need for more more offensive creation? But I, I think I, obviously Kleiman said a lot of stuff, and I'm not saying like he got this from my writing, but it felt deja vuish. I want to say like thanks Zach, thanks for reading. He was talking about you know the the, the Melton um, Kyle Anderson stuff, like hurting your transition offense, which I had written about, which I think is sort of counterintuitive because Kyle Anderson's slow. But it's true, and I think internally they sort of recognize that. But what he was saying about, you know, better shooting and better half-court offense in the playoffs, like all of that rhymes, and I'd already written this column, like 95% of it before media day. But what what Kleiman was saying about sort of focusing on half-court offense as you get into the playoffs was sort of very much tied to sort of what this what this column I wrote is about. I And in that vein... If the answers are going to, like, I have quite some confidence that Desmond Bain can be even better and will continue to be a meaningful shooter, and and I've and and I've I have great confidence there. I think the Zaire Williams thing is going to be really interesting to see the next step he takes. I do think it hurts, and I mean, you and I both have have mentioned it, um, and Jaron kind of batted it out of the air when I asked him about it, right. but he had some things to fix offensively this summer. And because he's focused on his injury, he just couldn't. Like, I do think that's a meaningful setback, don't you? I do. I, I think it's the kind of thing that from the outside is hard to really judge and reckon with. But, I mean, certainly I, I share I, – I have no reason not to, to have that assumption that, you know, I mean, the last time we'd seen Jaron before, before Monday – was sitting at the same podium, a little bit different arrangement in the room, but sitting at the same podium right. with a big thick packet in front of him that's like, here's my packet of here's my to-do list this summer. And, and, and in that packet that Taylor Jenkins gave him, which Taylor Jenkins said was the thickest packet any player got, rehabbing a, rehabbing a fractured foot was not in that packet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there's yeah. lots of stuff in that packet, and that wasn't it. And so, yes, I, I, I share your concern. Well, and, that, and, that and then Dylan Brooks talked about it from the flip side. He last year couldn't be doing that right. the stuff. He had to be work focusing on his health. And this year there's a lot of attention to how much Dylan, who, by the way, talked about efficiency endlessly uh, three times. He mentioned efficiency, I think, which was good to hear. You know, I honestly, I um, so maybe some, maybe some of the offensive help will also come from a more efficient Dylan Brooks. We got to get you out of here. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.